Praise the Lord, everyone. Hopefully my voice holds out for the end of the night. This means I won't preach long. <laughs> okay, if we turn to Numbers chapter 33. Numbers 33. Israel's been wandering around the wilderness for 40 years at this stage. And they're preparing for their grand entrance into the promised land, finally. And uh, Moses is giving them some words of instruction to prepare them for the future. And in Numbers 33, verse 50 to 52, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses in the plains of Moab by Jordan, near Jericho, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye are passed over Jordan into the land of Canaan, then ye shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you, and destroy all their pitchers, and destroy all their molten images, and quite pluck down all their high places. We also read similar in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 2 to 4. It says, Ye shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which ye shall possess served their gods, upon the high mountains and upon the hills, and under every green tree. And ye shall overthrow their altars, and break their pillars, and burn their groves with fire. And you shall hew down the graven images of their gods and destroy the names of them out of that place. You shall not do so unto the Lord your God. The Lord was very specific about making sure the Israelites drove out all the inhabitants of the land. We read time and time again throughout uh, the book of Numbers in Deuteronomy and, and Joshua that the Israelites were commanded to destroy the idolatrous nations that they overcame. And in verse 52 of Numbers 33 that we read, it said to destroy all their idols, anything pertaining to idolatry. They were to quite pluck down the high places. To pluck down was to make desolate, to absolutely destroy, to bring to nothing. And God was not kidding around when he said these things. He meant business and he was serious and he wanted the Israelites to know that this was very, very important. And so tonight, I don't think I'll be very long, but I just want to minister from the title, The Importance of Destroying High Places. And we'll just open in prayer. Lord, I feel your presence, God, in this place so powerfully, so richly, God. And I know that you want to speak to us, God. I thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege to come into your house and hear from you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I pray tonight as I bring forth what you've laid in my heart, God, help me to deliver it the way you want it to be heard, God. I pray that it would be anointed, oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So what was a high place? Why was the Lord so serious about destroying them? The Hebrew translation just means to be elevated. Uh, but it didn't necessarily mean that it was a place of geographical height on top of a mountain or a hill. Simply put, they were actually places where someone or something was elevated in worship. In the majority of circumstances in the Bible, when you read about high places, they were spoken of by God and his mouthpieces as negative places. They were more often than not places of idolatry, places where horrific pagan rituals took place, including the sacrificing of one's children. No wonder the Lord was so against high places. We pick up in the passage in Deuteronomy chapter 12 after the Lord told them to destroy the idols. In verse 5 it says, But unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall you seek, and there thou shalt come. 
And there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and heath offerings of your hand and your vows and your freewill offerings and the firstlings of your herds and of your flocks. Just as the Lord was serious about destroying the idols and the high places, he was serious about establishing a place of worship where the Lord would dwell, a specific place for them to come and sacrifice and worship a place where they would bring their sacrifices, where the priests would minister, where the Lord would speak. It wouldn't just be any old place. It had to be chosen by God, a place that was pure and holy. They couldn't just go and worship the Lord wherever they wanted and however they wanted. It had to be how the Lord instructed them. We come to the end of Deuteronomy. The Israelites are waiting on the edge. They're poised, ready to go into the promised land. And uh, we move then to the book of Joshua where we read that uh, Joshua takes up the position of the leader of the Israelites. Moses passes on and we read that he successfully wins many battles and the people of Israel finally enter the land that was promised to them long ago. We read about the fall of Jericho with miraculous power from God. We read that they destroyed many cities. They killed the inhabitants or drove them out of town. We read of the many times they were able to take of the spoil of each city, the cattle, the sheep. We read about the dividing of the inheritance amongst the 12 tribes. We read how Joshua gives them one last command to serve the Lord, to choose to serve him with all that they have. But we never ever read when Joshua came in that they tore down the high places. It does not say that they ever destroyed them when they came into each new city. We read they had great celebration that they'd come into the promised land. We read about them having a great time spoiling the cities and taking all of the wealth. But there is no scripture that I could find that says they destroyed the high places. Instead, what we do find as we read the history of the Israelites in the Old Testament is a constant struggle between trying to do the right thing and falling into sin. And it sounds just like us today. Struggling between trying to do what's right but doing wrong, never able to truly overcome and live above the desires of the flesh, always falling, always struggling to obey, never able to live like Jesus said we could abundantly, a life of victory and power. First Kings chapter three, verse one says, coming to uh, Solomon's reign over the people. And it says, and Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about. Only the people sacrificed in high places because there was no house built unto the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord. He had a good heart. Walking in the statutes of David, his father, only, but he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. And we could look at this scripture and say, well, it's okay that Solomon sacrificed in these high places because there was no house built. It said there was no house built before the Lord. The problem though with that is that they still had a tabernacle. They still had a place that God had instituted worship and sacrifice. It was in a place called Gibeon. And we read that at times Solomon did go there and did worship. But the problem is it wasn't the only high place that he worshiped at. It says that he and the people sacrificed in high places, plural. 
And seeing as we can't see before that time that there was anywhere recorded that the other high places had been destroyed, we can safely assume that these were places of idolatry. The other problem is that the Lord had said, you are to worship me the way I tell you to worship. There is a plan to follow. There is instruction to obey when you come before a holy God. There is a way to present yourself before God. Whether or not these high places were idolatrous places of worship does not really matter because Solomon had his own high place that was not destroyed at the beginning of his reign. In verse 1 of 1 Kings 3, we read, Solomon made uh, a pact with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David. Solomon's high place was his love and desire for women of other nations. And it doesn't seem so bad in this verse. You know, it was a political move. You know, now we're stronger. We've got the the people of Egypt behind us. We've got this alliance. But if we read in chapter 11 of 1 Kings, and we start at verse 1, it says, But King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter. It didn't stop with the daughter of Pharaoh. Women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, You shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives. I don't understand that. I really don't. (laughs) Princesses and 300 concubines and his wives turned away his heart just like the Lord said to them. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. And in verse 7 it says, Then did Solomon build an high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Moloch, the abomination of the children of Ammon. Now Solomon wasn't just worshipping God at other high places that were made by people before him. Now he was building his own high places and sacrificing unto the gods of his wives. And I did some research on these gods. It was not nice. They sacrificed their children, their living children, to this piece of gold, wood, stone, whatever it was made out of. One of the gods, the the people were required to perform obscene rituals to obtain her favor. How far Solomon had fallen, how far he had come, how far he had gone from being this man full of wisdom when he first reigned over Israel, all because he did not destroy the high places all because he allowed that one thing, the woman, women from the nations round about him to take over his life. There were a total of 39 rulers over Israel and Judah. And out of that 39, there were only eight kings that were listed as good men. All of them out of Judah, not out of Israel. And those eight kings spent much of their reign trying to reverse the evil of their predecessors. They got rid of idols, they slew false prophets, reintroduced true worship to the people. Only eight rulers saw the depravity around them and decided to do something about it. 
They were the only ones described as doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord and not their own eyes. Unfortunately, even the majority of these eight kings still did not completely obey the commandment of the Lord from Numbers 33 that we read before. They still failed to take down the high places. There was Asa in 1 Kings 15, but the high places were not removed. King Jehoshaphat, nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered and burnt incense yet in the high places. Jehoash, but the high places were not taken away. Amaziah, howbeit the high places were not taken away. Azariah, save that the high places were not removed. And Jotham, howbeit the high places were not removed. There were only two kings, two people in the entire history of Israel that actually fully obeyed the word of the Lord. It was Hezekiah and Josiah. Josiah was eight years old. An eight-year-old was able to obey the word of the Lord. In Hezekiah, uh, in Second Kings, sorry, chapter 18, verse 3 and 4, it talks about Hezekiah. He said, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. King Josiah in Second Kings 23, it's quite a long passage of scripture. It's quite a big ceremony that takes place, this cleansing. And in verse 15, it says, Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, had made both that altar and the high place. He break down and burned the high place and stamped it small to powder and burned the grove. Partial obedience is not obedience at all. God requires complete obedience, not just the parts that are easy to do. Majority of the time, the people, the rulers, everyone was still sacrificing at the temple. Solomon made the temple and it was beautiful. And they went there and they sacrificed, but they also went to the high places They'd play church on Sunday, as it were, and then fulfill their other desires Monday through Saturday. The rulers of the Old Testament had a casual attitude towards sin. Solomon started out well. He started out well, but he became comfortable what was happening around him, and he ended up becoming a part of it. He became complacent, happy to have this beautiful temple. Makes me feel good. I made it. I I worshipped there, but he kept the high places. And the fact is that in the end, their refusal to destroy those high places became their demise. Even when a good king came and destroyed them, after that good king went, they rebuilt them again. Amos 5 verse 24 to 27 says, But let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. Have you offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years, O house of Israel? But you have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch and chayun your images, the star of your God, which you made to yourselves. Therefore, will I cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, saith the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Because they worshipped other gods, because they did not tear down the high places, they were taken into captivity. Last week we were singing the song, Victor's Crown. And I was playing the drums and I was singing along. And I really started to think about the words that I was singing in the first line of the bridge says, every high thing must come down. And I, it dawned on me at that moment because in the past when I uh, sing the song, 
I'm singing, you know, the devil can't take me down and I'm going to fight him and he's defeated and all of that. And that's all true. There's nothing wrong with thinking that. But I saw it in a different light. I must bring every high thing down. We can stand against the devil and we can tell him to flee. We can, through the power of Jesus' sacrifice on Calvary, see the devil and his plans completely squashed. But it's up to me to bring down the high things in my life. If I don't bring those high things down, there's no way the devil's going to flee. The high places in the Old Testament were man-made idols, man-made places of worship. Yes, the devil moved through those things and he was able to manipulate the people. But ultimately, those high places had to come down via a human being. God waited for someone to get sick and tired of the idolatry and to tear those places down, to burn them, to stamp them small to powder, to dust. It's up to me and it's up to you whether or not the high places stay in your lives. And if we allow them to stay, we'll just be like the Israelites, always trying to get ahead, but never truly being made free from our sin because we haven't destroyed them when we were meant to. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 and 5 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You can't fight with physical weapons, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The Lord has given us weapons of prayer, his word, study, fasting, all these things to be able to pull down and destroy the high places in our lives. But it really is up to us to activate them and use them in our lives. You can read this, but unless you actually do what it says, it's just another book. It's not going to do anything. You have to apply it to your lives, what it teaches. I have a personal example of a high place. Um, it's a few months ago. You know, you know when you feel you, you're good with God. I felt like close to God, and you know I was praying, and I was doing all the right things, and I was listening to a message about being made whole. And the guy that was preaching was going for it, and he was saying that so many people can't get healing because they have things in their heart, unforgiveness, bitterness, and he was listing all these things. And I was actually cooking at the time, and I was like, "Amen, praise the Lord." And um, then I felt to go pray, so I left my cooking. Thankfully, it didn't burn. And so I was just praying, sitting on my couch, just crying, because this um, message had spoken to me. And I felt like there was something stopping me from really receiving what was meant to be received. And I was reminded at that moment, I had that this person's face popped up in my head and their name in my mind. I had unforgiveness in my heart towards that person. And I was, you know... You know, when something pops up in your head, you're like, oh, it's just a coincidence. It's like, oh, it's not a big deal. You know, I'm not, I'm not mad at the person. I say hello and not everything's okay. But I couldn't go any further with God. You know, like I wanted to. I felt that God was wanting to take me deeper at that moment. But this person's face just kept coming up in my, in my face. And so at that moment, I decided to tear down that high place. I decided, right, next time I see that person, I'm going to go to them and I'm going to ask for forgiveness and I'm going to tell them that I have forgiven them. And was it easy? No. <laughs> it's really humbling. It is very humbling. But if I had not done it there and then, it would have taken root in my heart and it would have become a stumbling block, a stronghold that I couldn't tear down. My relationship with that person is so much better now. Does everything just magically disappear and, uh, you know, forget about the hurt and the pain? And No, it's there's still 
the history there. But now I see through the eyes of mercy and grace, the same eyes that the Lord used when he saw me. And I've destroyed that high place in my life and I'm not going to rebuild it. I can't go back. This is the problem with the Israelites is they, they had a good king and the good king tore everything down and there was blessing and power of God and anointing and things were great. But then they went back and they rebuilt the same things again that caused them trouble before. Rebuilding the high places in our lives will just take us straight back to where we were before. And more often than not, it'll take us worse, further than we ever wanted to go. I have experienced that. I know what that's like to come out of something, to be delivered, and then to walk straight back into it, deceived into thinking it's okay and falling even further than before. What are the high places in your life tonight that are still standing? Has God revealed something to you that you need to take a club to and just smash and destroy? Is there something you keep stumbling over and over and it keeps getting the better of you? You have to destroy it. As small as you think those high places are in your life, it's just a little thing. This unforgiveness that was in my heart, it wasn't it wasn't like this glaring sin, you know, I hadn't murdered anyone. It was just a little thing. But I knew for me it was a high place. It had taken a hold in my heart. The Israelites refused to destroy those high places and they were taken into captivity because of it. And if we don't destroy them, they will keep us out of heaven. They will keep us out of heaven. That's serious stuff. I don't want to not go to heaven. We need to start looking at these things in our lives as things that will keep us out of heaven. Maybe we need to start living as if Jesus could come back now. Do you believe he's coming back? Right? He's coming back. The truth is he is and he's coming back soon. If we live our lives looking for him every day, then it will be so much easier for us to destroy the high places in our lives. I heard the other day that only one third of Protestants or mainstream Christianity still believe in the rapture. Only one third of Christians now believe that there is a rapture happening. And, you know, I wonder sometimes, have we allowed that kind of thinking to seep into our own hearts? It's easy to say, yeah, I know Jesus is coming back, but how do we live? Saying and living are two totally different things. How we act. Oh, those things, they're not that bad in my life. I've got time to get myself right with God. It's just a little thing. Church, we don't have time. We don't have time to allow those things to stay around, to play church on Sunday and then just, you know, on Monday through Saturday, oh, well, it's just a little thing. It's just a little thing. It's just a little, little things grow to be big things. When Jesus comes back for his church, will he find people that have been obedient to what he asked? And I've really been thinking about this recently. How often do I wake up and determine to live my life each day as if he's coming back that day? do I really every day I wake up and I'll be honest I don't you know we get up we rush around get ready for work go and do what we need to do we don't often think of it well I don't often think of it that way if I did I wouldn't still have high places in my life I'd want to get rid of them as quick as possible because if Jesus is coming back I don't want to miss out what a fool I would be to spend days months years in church and miss the rapture just because of one high place I didn't destroy. The reason we're here is to get to heaven, right? The reason we come to church, the reason we live each day is to get to heaven. That's the reason we, that this life really isn't the reason we live. Like it's, it's 
just a passing through. We live here to get to there. When God gives us a command to get rid of something in our lives, it's not something to be taken lightly. He says it so that we can get to heaven, so that we won't go to hell. Bishop Downs shared this morning how the devil likes to try and convince us that God has warped motives and that when the Lord asks us to do something or get rid of something, the devil tries to deceive us into thinking that God doesn't really love us. You know, he's so mean to you. Why is he doing that to you? The truth of the matter is, is that God's love for us goes beyond the here and now. He loves us enough to see ahead and see where we will stumble and fall and walk away from him if we don't root out the high places now. If we don't do it now, he sees ahead. And I don't want to be like the Israelites, delivered from bondage and slavery, liberated and set free from sin and then disobey just one commandment and end up straight back in captivity. Let me tell you, if you don't destroy the high places of your past, you will end up falling right back into what it was that the Lord delivered you from. Jesus is coming back. And I don't have time to play around with what we would maybe call respectable sins and miss the rapture just because I had an idol built in my life. What do I mean by respectable sins? We, as Christians, classify sins. You know, we say, oh, this one's good, this one's, oh, this one's a bit worse, <gasps> that one's terrible. It's those things that may not be so easily seen. The high places weren't near the temple. They weren't near the church. They were other places where you could kind of sneak away. No one who's in the church will see you because it's, it's a little ways off. I can hide it from the rest of the outside world. Things that are in my heart. It's hard to hide murder. Someone's going to find out you killed someone. Well, they'll find the dead person anyway. <laughs> it's hard to steal, to, to hide stealing. It's hard to hide worshipping a wooden man-made idol. But oh, how easy it is to build an idol to things like worry. Envy, pride, unforgiveness, lust. On Friday, I was uh, speaking with some of our young people and we were discussing how we need to be honest with ourselves about where our hearts really are. And we've been praying on Wednesday nights recently about that list of 10 things that the show strands spoke to us about at the conference. And the first one is openness, honesty. And in Romans 7, verse 18, it says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. There it is. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. If I'm completely honest with the Lord and with myself, I truly know that in this heart I'm full of pride, hate, desire for ungodly things, always wanting more of worldly pleasures. And that's confronting. I don't want to... I don't want to say that about myself because I'm a good person. I'm up here preaching. I play the drums. I sing. I worship. I, you know, I'm a good person. But really deep down in me, when I truly reflect on the person that I am on the deep part of me, where no one else can see, in me dwells no good thing. Jeremiah speaks of the heart being deceitful, desperately wicked, and only the Lord can really know the inner man. And that's why we need to get rid of the high places because our hearts will use them. Our flesh will find those high places in your life and the devil will then get through your flesh and they will become strongholds in your lives that will be harder and harder to break. If I can have a musician. 
One of our opening texts was Deuteronomy 12, verse 5 to 7, where the Lord says, I have chosen a place for you to sacrifice. I will put my name there, and it is there that you will sacrifice, and you will bring your praise and worship. It is here that I will hear you and will meet with you. God wants to meet with us. He wants to, he wants to speak to us, and he wants to hear from us. If we're going to the high places in our lives to try to sacrifice and worship, it won't be received by the Lord. It must be his way. It must be as instructed by the Lord. We need to find that altar of repentance and die and destroy the high places. It's then that we can enter into the holy place and offer up praise and worship and prayers of intercession. Then it will be acceptable to him because we brought a sacrifice to the right place, the right way, and he'll dwell with us. He'll dwell with us and he'll hear us because we came to the right altar the place he designed for us to come to. We heard this morning that the Lord is calling out to us. Where are you? He told Cain, if you make things right, I'll be pleased with you. But if you don't, if you don't make things right, if you don't destroy those high places in your life, sin lies at the door. It's waiting to destroy us. We desperately need Jesus, church. I can't go any further without knowing I have destroyed those things. You know the things in your life. I know the things in my life that I've got. We need to live like he's coming back right now. We're honest with ourselves. If he was to come right now, are we ready? Are we prepared? Are there things in our lives that we're holding on to? Because sin lies at the door of my heart ready to pounce. And tonight, I just want to open the altars for anyone that wants to come. And allow the Lord to reveal the high places that we need to destroy in our lives. To ask him for strength to cast down the high places.